Good morning. Uh, I was in St. Louis all of last week, and um, I am so grateful to be back with you all. It was so sweet. Yeah, yeah, you guys are awesome. Um, yeah, just a uh, probably goes without saying. Please be really cautious outside. It's so it's so gorgeous and so beautiful, and the white trees is lovely. But um, don't slip. Don't break an arm or an ankle or um, I don't know. Somebody has you on video. It could go viral, and it could be pretty great. But I don't know that it's worth the uh, the pain. No, please do be very cautious. Um, uh, privilege for me to introduce our speaker this morning, uh, Reverend Andrew Vandermoss. Um, uh, Andrew is the senior pastor at Christ Church Grand Rapids, um, an area of the country where the PCA is. Where good, these these sweet, good, faithful churches are are growing. Um, it's kind of an exciting thing that's that's happening. Uh, Andrew has uh, planted churches in St. Louis. He's been involved in campus ministry. He's taught courses at Covenant Seminary. But what really matters is that he is the father of our Zoe Vandermoss. So. Right? Um, so his first time in chapel, please give a warm Scots welcome to Reverend Andrew Vandermoss. Well, that was, uh, that was awesome. That was awesome. It's great to be here. I do bring you greetings from the great state of Michigan. The, I, I had a hope to maybe bring a little winter with me but I see you already had it, uh, so thank you for making us feel at home. Shout out to my wife for driving us through Michigan yesterday. We saw about six semis jackknifed and pointing the wrong way on the highway, and it was a little bit treacherous, much like the stage is looking a little bit treacherous here with these shoes. We'll mention anything about the funky smell. Uh, shout out to the ladies of Fourth North for uh, <laughs> keeping, uh, keeping Zoe in good check here while she is away for us. It is good to be down here. It's my first time to be able to speak to the chapel here. We're, we're big believers in, in the college and are doing our best to send people from Michigan here. We know that SEC country appreciates a little bit of the Big Ten, uh, especially this year after Michigan put a stranglehold on the whole national championship thing. And some of you may have noticed that the Lions actually won a playoff game. That, that, is, that is truly a miracle. I, I really think if the Lions were to ever win the Super Bowl, I would have to go to Detroit uh, just because it would be a miracle. I start with football because I want to share with you a story from my own time in college. And it's not a particularly flattering story. Intramural football um, at another institution. I, I'm very competitive. I, I used to be far more competitive, as this story will illustrate. But we were in the championship game for the you know, the very prestigious intramural championship. I don't even know if there was a prize. Maybe there was a t-shirt. I'm not sure. Anyway, it was uh, tightly contested, good friends on both sides of the ball. We were uh, stopping the other team, and the official for the game, who was another student, uh, lost track of the downs. 
And so we had come up with an important stop on fourth down. We were about to get the ball back, and, and we could just seal the game. The whole thing would be over, and we would be the intramural champions of the world. Unfortunately, the official miscounted and gave them another down. And I, I just couldn't understand it. I, we went through every play. You know, on first down they did this. On second down they did this. On third down they did this. On fourth down this happened. This is it. But he stuck with it. And I just went ballistic. Uh, it, it was, I was so angry. I was jumping up and down. I was pointing at things. I may have said a few words that I shouldn't have said at that particular point. And, and right as I am in the middle of these very embarrassing, as I look back at it now, antics, over the hill walks this cute little blonde girl that I had just been talking to and uh, was very interested in, and she caught the whole thing. And I was like, oh my goodness. Thankfully, she was able to see, hopefully, a diamond in the rough. She saw the rough. Uh, and she is my wife, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was an incredibly, incredibly embarrassing moment. And I think, you know, where I want to start is just this idea of how anger, um, sin, it, sometimes we, we think about it in terms of these big categories. You know, we've got the, the major things. But my experience with sin, my experience with things like anger is that it's the small things, it's the everyday things, it's the things that really shouldn't matter, but they end up mattering way more than, we, uh, than they should or that we just let them take on this life of their own. It's almost this parasitic quality uh, in, our, in our being. And one of the things that we want to understand as we grow and as we mature is how is it that the gospel uh, addresses not just the, the big, fraught, moral choices which are coming in your life, but the everyday, under-the-radar things that happen over the course of your interactions with friends, with professors, as you are playing intramural sports, as you are at your workplace, all of these different things. How does the gospel help us to understand that? In order to, to get at that, I want to look at 1 Samuel 25. If you have Bibles, uh, either electronically or physically, you're welcome to open to 1 Samuel 25. We're, we're not going to read the whole chapter. For many of you, if you're familiar with the Bible, it's a, it's a story that you probably know. It's the story of, of David and Abigail. Uh, there's actually three characters. Verse 2, uh, there was a man, David rose and went down into the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 3,000 goats. He was shearing uh, his sheep in Carmel. The name of this man was Nabal, which means fool. I'm not exactly sure why his parents gave him that name. Uh, I don't know if they just looked at him and said, there's no hope for you. <laughs> We're just going to call you Nabal. Probably it was a, a nickname because he, he truly was a fool in every uh, shape, every sense of the word. He was really a very foolish man. But he had 
this wife, and her name was Abigail. The text says the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. So we have these three characters. And, and if you know anything about the story, you know that this is David's wilderness time. He's been anointed king over Israel, um, and, uh, but he is on the run. Saul is pursuing him. And what's interesting about this story is that in chapter 24 and in chapter 26, we see David at his highest. Uh, this is where David has an opportunity to kill Saul. He, they're alone in a, in a cave, and he could have taken Saul's life in many ways. He would have been justified. Saul was seeking to take his life, self-defense, the whole thing. But David doesn't. He restrains himself. He says, who am I to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed? And, and we see so many of the qualities that made David a man after God's own heart uh, on display in chapters 24 and 26. But in chapter 25, it's a very different story. So David and his men are out, and they are protecting the flocks of Nabal. We're told he was a very rich man. He had a lot of uh, vulnerabilities, especially from uh, vandals, pirates, that type of thing. But David and his men were protecting them. David and his men were also on the run. He had about 600 men. He needed food, and so he sent some people in to talk to Nabal and said, hey, we've been doing this service for you. Can you, out of your own wealth, can you provide something for us who don't have anything? And Nabal said, no. He said, I'm not going to do that. In fact, he says in verse 10, he says, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? He, he really just dismisses him out of hand. He said, you are nobody. You don't deserve anything from me. One of the things, if you want to do a study on foolishness, is just look at Nabal and you realize he's just so taken with himself. And, and he cannot, will not bend to anybody who he doesn't consider his equal. But this just ticks David off. Uh, he, is, he is really angry here. Uh, his men come back, and they tell him what, to, what happened. David said in verse 13, Everyone strap on your sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. About 400 of them went up after David, while 200 stayed back with the luggage. In verse 21, we, we get the, the full sense of what David's intent is here. David said, surely in vain have I guarded this fellow, all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So the whole idea is this. Uh, David feels slighted by Nabal. He feels like there's been an injustice done, and he's ready to go and commit genocide. Not just murder, genocide. He is going to wipe out everybody of Nabal. The, you know, this slight came into David's world at the, the level of you know, a 10, you know, who is David? Who is he, the son of Jesse, that I should give him a kindness? But David retaliates at uh, the level of a 100. You know, 
I am going to get you. Strap it on, boys. Here we go. Let's wipe out Nabal. One of the things that we know about anger is that it is a fruit sin. Uh, what I mean by that is that we see anger, or sometimes we don't see it. I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of us become angry and we hold it in. We don't let anybody see it, but it becomes like this root of bitterness that grows in our heart. But it is coming from something else. It, it is not the, it, it's not the present. It is the presenting issue, but there's something underneath that's feeding and fueling it. And what's really interesting with David, who in so many ways throughout this narrative displays like these godlike characters, like I said in chapter 24, 26, he spares Saul's life. We get this pinnacle of who David is. But here in 25, we see a wound that David has that when it is triggered uh, can cause him to just pay out, to conflagrate onto this person of Nabal. What do I mean by a wound? David comes from nowhere. You know, if you read the story and you go back and when Saul is first introduced to the person of David, he's like, who's Jesse? Uh, I, I don't know, you know, who he is, where he's from, any of these things. David's family is not a very f prominent family, just in the opposite of Saul's family, who was very prominent. Uh, David himself was not very prominent in his family. If you remember when Samuel came to anoint David, uh, he tells Jesse, get all your sons, bring them together. And so Jesse brings the, the seven boys and uh, Samuel looks at him, and he sees Eliab, and he sees Aminadab, and he sees Shammah, and he's like, yeah, surely this is the one, this is the one. God keeps saying, nope, don't look on the outward, look on the inward. Uh, and he gets to the end, to the seventh son, and God says, no, it's none of these. And, and Samuel says to Jesse, don't you, do you have any other sons? And, and Jesse says, well, yeah, there's the little guy, you know, the runt is literally what the word means in Hebrew, but he's out in the field with the sheeps, and, uh, with the sheeps, I just made that plural, uh, with the sheep, uh, and Samuel says, well, we're not going to sit down until we, we, we see him, go bring him in, and sure enough, that's the one. And David feels this slight in chapter 17 when, when David goes and he meets the battle with Goliath. He, he makes his statement. He said he'll, he'll go and fight Goliath. Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard it, he says, why have you come down here, David? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And then David says to his brother, he says, what have I done now? Didn't I just say something? Do you get the picture here? David is, is used to being slighted. In fact, he says in Psalm 27, verse 10, he says, my mother and my father have rejected me, but the Lord has been my stronghold. And the connection that I want us to see here in chapter 25 is that David, in a way that is in some ways so out of character from what we see from him, at just the slightest provocation, is ready to do murder. 
And it's coming from a place of deep woundedness. It's coming from a place maybe even of shame. It's coming from a place of hurt. And this is one of the things that we need to recognize in our day-to-day journeys, is that we all have that. Some of you may have these exact same kind of wounds, these father wounds, these mother wounds, these uh, feelings of insignificance that you don't matter, that nobody sees you. You have to understand that, that this shame, that this even contempt that you have for yourself, because that's usually the path of shame, it, it grows into contempt for self, contempt for others. It can have serious consequences in your relational style. You know, you see David here, just the slight provocation, and he's ready to be, do murder. Just an intramural football game, but you're ready to do murder. It's just a test. It's just a word. It's just a post on Instagram, but you're ready to do murder. How do we, how do we find grace in those moments? How do we, how do we find the healing, the, the redressing from our nakedness and the vulnerability that we so desperately long for? Well, this is where Abigail comes in, and she is awesome. I, I love, you know, I love all of the scriptures, but I, I especially love when we come across just these, these women of nobility and, and beauty. You know, David is marching to beat Nabal, and, and he is taken down not by a battalion of men, but he's taken down by this wise, discerning, articulate, courageous, Holy Spirit-filled tsunami of a woman. Uh, And she washes up on his shore, and she just gives him all the grace that he needs. Look at verse 23, I think it is. Yeah, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face. She bowed to the ground and she said, on me, O Lord, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Let your servant speak in your ears. Hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, didn't see the young men of my Lord who you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, there's lots of lords there. Uh, the one is the Lord, the covenant God. Uh, The other is the Lord, just her master, uh, Nabal, and then also David. Because uh, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hands, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting all the battles of Yahweh. And evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling." 
And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. When the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. She comes, and, and three things, I think, really mark the beauty of Abigail and provide the grace that David needs in this moment. Uh, she is, uh, she's humble. I mean, just over and over again, she is deferential to David. She calls him my Lord 14 times in, in that passage. Uh, she gets down off of her donkey, and, and she kneels before him not because she's a woman before a man, but because she is showing him respect, as David does before Saul and other things. Uh, but she, she is humble in the way that she approaches him. In the face of anger, she doesn't respond with anger. You know, it's the, the Proverbs say, a, a soft answer turns away wrath. And, and Abigail demonstrates this for us, so different than what we see in the socials, you know, whether it's on Facebook or in the political spheres, just people yelling at one another, how do we answer anger with more anger? Whoever wins is the one who has the loudest anger. Abigail, it's so different than that. She humbles herself before David. She's honest about the situation. She says, David, my husband is a fool. Uh, as his name is, so is he. Folly is bound up with him. She calls a spade a spade. But she also says, if you go ahead and kill him, then you're going to have his guilt on you. And whatever kingship you have, it won't be in nobility, it won't be in character, but it will be in blood guilt. So David, you don't want to do these things because the consequences are not worth it. She's honest with him. But then she is also hopeful. You know, I love the way that she uses her words here to build David up. She says, David, I see you. I, I see the goodness that is wrapped up in you. I see what the Lord is doing in your life. I, I see that he's got you bundled up. She uses this beautiful word picture here, bundled up with the, the living and the hand of God, and, and he's going to protect you. And we need that. We need somebody to see us. We need somebody to speak words into our life that will give us hope. She even says at one point, she says, because the Lord has restrained your hand. Well, the Lord hadn't really done any of that yet. It, it hadn't happened, but she is so convinced of the power of the Lord to work in David's life that she is willing to speak of something that is yet undetermined as having already been determined. You know, I think when we look at Abigail, we say, this is the kind of person that we want to be. We, we want to be the Abigails of the world who take this kind of humble, honest, hopeful grace into the lives of others. You know, as you look around, realize that, that you are sitting by, you're in class with, you're going to have lunch with people who are bearing these wounds and the shame and the contempt and all of those things that, that come out of those. And they need somebody. They need a, a Holy Spirit-filled tsunami like Abigail 
to come into their life and to speak grace to them. They, they need somebody to help them be grounded in the goodness of God and to be reminded that He continues to, uh, to, to pursue with them. But there's more to just being like Abigail. Um, because Abigail here points us to the fact that, that we all need somebody who will bring us this type of grace. And one of the things I, I love about Abigail, and particularly this story here in, in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, is that she, as clear as anyone else, you know, David is often talked about as a, as a type of Christ, and we certainly see him, you know, fill, filling that role, places like when he's battling Goliath and uh, when he takes on his kingly crown and all of these different things. But Abigail here, no less, points us to none other than Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, like Abigail, comes humbly, riding on a donkey, with a message of salvation. Did you pick up in verse 24 when Abigail comes to David and she says, on me alone, let the guilt fall. And that is exactly what Jesus says as he rides into our life. He says, on me alone, let the guilt fall. And he went to that cross and he spread out his hands and it wasn't the physical pain that he endured, but it was the agonies of our guilt falling on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, there was no other way. Unless our guilt fell on him, we would have to bear it ourselves. But like Abigail, Jesus said, I'll take the guilt. I'll take the guilt so that they can, you can, I can, we can gain a kingdom, which is what David gains. So where do we go from here? We go to the same place that David went for. You know, one of the beautiful things about this story is the way that it ends. How does it end? Nabal dies. God visits his vengeance on him. Ten days later, he has this party, and he has presumably a heart attack or something, and, and, and he dies. And David says, Abigail, I want you to come be my wife. And she comes, and he marries her. You know, a lot of people think that, that Abigail is the Proverbs 31 woman, uh, that she personifies it. In Proverbs, we're, we're told to get wisdom, lady wisdom, get her, find her. Though she costs you all that you have, gain wisdom. Do not let her pass you by. And David, when he meets the personification of wisdom and grace and beauty, which incidentally had nothing to do with external beauty, when he meets her in Abigail, he says, I want to marry her. I, I, I want to be in a love relationship with her for the rest of my life. My friends, I know we have these wounds, but there's someone who comes 
And he offers to redress those wounds with grace and with beauty, with wholeness. He offers you healing. He offers you everything that your heart longs for. Don't let him pass you by. Marry him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the, the beauties of the gospel uh, that we see in this story. So often we, we think that we come and we read the Bible, but in reality we know that your word is reading us. It, it sees us all the way down to the bottom. It, it sees our, our brokenness, our shame, our contempt for ourselves and for others. It opens us up to our need for the Abigails of this world. And Lord, I do pray that as these brothers and sisters go throughout their day, they would see the importance of being an Abigail in somebody's life. But Father, we pray even more than that, that we would recognize that we need the greater Abigail. We, we need the Lord Jesus. Uh, to redress our wounds at the deepest level, to make us shine, to, to give us a kingdom where we can be like him and rule and reign forever. Be with these friends as they go out. Uh, be with us all through the weather, uh, through the storms of our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.